Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. Special shout out to those of you watching on our new YouTube channel, Bill's Chat. While you are there, please be kind enough to hit that subscribe button. It helps us out so much as we are trying to build this new channel that we are very proud of, making it our one-stop shop for all the content we work on, Bill's, Sabres, Other, coming soon. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how you doing? Doing good, doing good. I mean, uh, I enjoyed myself a little bit too much earlier today with uh, Liverpool being back in uh, regular season form or just, you know, the EPL season kicking off here. So um, it's it's going to be a long night here, but I'm excited for the episode and stuff like that to talk about Bill's football and then to get right into our rivals watch on top of the special thing that we have kind of right there in the middle for this episode. So it's an exciting episode to get to and uh, just looking forward to getting right to it. We have four copies of Madden 24 to give away. We're going to draw the names on this episode. We will put up a separate video on Twitter so you can all see how it goes out. Follow us on Twitter for that Bill's Chat Pod. And the four winners are going to be announced tonight. Two Xbox, two PlayStation. You guys will obviously be hearing this on Monday morning, August 14th. We'll be getting to that around halfway through our show. But Luca, the Bills have played a football game, kind of. And they are 1-0, sort of. And uh, the preseason game is underway. The Bills defeat the Indianapolis Colts 23 to 19. You were lucky enough to be in attendance for this game. So as I tend to do during the regular season, this time not so seriously, uh, what were your first impressions just leaving that stadium? What was first and foremost in your mind? Uh, first and foremost, I thought for just being a preseason game where no Josh Allen, no Stefan Diggs, like right out the gate, everyone knows it. Um, turnout was interesting. Like it was, it was good. Uh, it, was, it was kids day and stuff. So you had a lot of that crowd there, of course, but just environment wise and just kind of being at the game and stuff like that. It was really laid back, which is what you would expect, but still kind of impressive in itself. Just not that it should be a surprise that you had a good turnout and a good friendly turnout to watch Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley lead whatever offenses that they were leading at the time out there and then see um, stuff like that. Of course, you know, we'll get into a lot of different things. But the one thing that just stood out to me, honestly, first and foremost, was the first time DeMar Hamlin's name got announced just for making a tackle. Loud pop, of course. Um, and that was it stood out among everything else. And it's just kind of the that was the lasting memory to me on top of everything else and stuff. It was just it was a good day. Honestly, the weather was supposed to be not great. It rained at probably around noon. And it was like, uh oh, are, are we going to be leaving this game early? And it doesn't matter. And it just seemed like the sun came out to play when it came to the game itself. And it was actually pretty good weather wise. So overall, just a good, relaxing experience for preseason football. So happy for you and everybody that was in attendance to be able to experience that DeMar Hamlin moment, because that is something that even though it was a meaningless game result wise, is going to be one of the cooler live uh, sporting events you'll ever attend in your life, just based on what it meant for him. And he was flying around. And to a lesser extent, I will say, and obviously a lesser extent, Micah Hyde was out there flying around making tackles. And to see both of those guys knock the rust off might be the wrong term. Get their confidence back. You know, getting over injuries where you could obviously shy away from contact and everybody would understand. That had to be a big step for them. For the most part, all the Bills starters played in this game, Luca, Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs did not. On the defensive side, Daquan Jones. And Taron Johnson didn't. And to my understanding, both were healthy scratches, which is interesting. I think it says a lot about how much they value those two players and maybe what they value about the depth behind them that no, we're good. And in Daquan Jones case, they just have so many defensive linemen right now that they want to look at that. It makes sense to not put him out there. 
But I do want to start with the quarterback situation, Luca. That was one of the bigger topics coming into this game. Matt Barkley, 14 of 15, 172 yards, two touchdowns, quarterback rating of 158.3. Kyle Allen played the first half and one drive in the second half that did not go well. 8 of 15, 122, one interception, quarterback rating of 61.2. Now, stats in the preseason, take them with a grain of salt. But I will say, and the interception that Kyle Allen threw was not his fault. It was a screen pass that bounced off of Shaver's hands right into the lap of the Colts defender who took it back for a pick six to kick off the second half. But what I will tell you, Luca, what was evident to me watching this game, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise, Matt Barkley was much more decisive with what he was trying to accomplish out there. It was three steps, ball was out. Where Kyle Allen, the, the knock on him you hear is he holds onto the ball too long, and there was even a play where he was under pressure and he tried to escape the sack. And, it, and you're watching this thinking, you should just go down. This is not going well for you. And he starts running around and throws it out in the flat to Latavius Murray. And I even put my hands over my eyes because I was afraid Latavius Murray was going to get killed. Luckily for him, he's like a 250-pound running back, and he was just fine. But Kyle Allen was reckless out there. He didn't look confident. Matt Barkley was much more decisive. I'm not ready to say that Matt Barkley is definitively the quarterback, too, after one preseason game. But I will say that coming off of the heels of what we saw or what we heard about Kyle Allen in training camp and then the red and blue scrimmage, this was not a step forward for him. The game itself was basically everything you've heard from training camp just happening in front of you in a game. It it, it seemed like everything you heard about Barkley looking a little bit cleaner, Kyle Allen looking a little bit days lost, uh, trying to figure things out. Not really decisive, as you said, kind of when it comes to Barkley being that um, it was all just happening. And then on top of it, it just seemed like Kyle Allen just. I don't know. It was almost like a half step behind a lot of times, just not seeing what it, what you would want or expect someone that's at least been in the league a few years to understand in front of him at times. It was just indecisiveness left and right. Um, like you said, though, I think, you know, the interception, you can definitely not put to his credit. I, the funny moment at the interception, by the way, just kind of a behind the curtain situation was at that moment in time, right before then, I was mentioning to my buddy who I was with, I was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of talk happening about shavers and stuff. There he is right out there. And the play that literally happens is the little bobble interception for a touchdown the other way. And I just, I kind of laughed and I was like, well, that, that definitely does not bode well for him right now. But overall, you know, Kyle Allen just looked, he looked like he hasn't been part of this offense. Whereas Barkley has been part of this offense. Of course, he has a little bit more of a familiarity with it. And then at, on top of it, Barkley was playing with lesser talent against him and stuff and where he could probably feel more confident that he can just take his three step back or his three step drop and then just kind of whip it where his first read looks to be comfortable. So overall, I don't know if I read too, too much into it, but it's it's not boding well for Kyle Allen where it's like you want to see him maybe be a little bit more confident in his play if you want him to truly be your backup quarterback, but it's a backup quarterback we're talking about. So overall, you know, put as much weight into it as you want, as you want to. Had a little bit of a conversation with Thad Brown, Bill's beat reporter on Twitter. And, and cause he made the comparison to last year where Case Keenum really did poorly in the first preseason game. And Matt Barkley played well. And he was like, you know, it was never even close. It was always going to be Keenum's job. And my rebuttal to that was, I think the difference is at this point in time last year, Case Keenum was three times the cap hit that uh, Matt Barkley is this year. 
Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley are basically different variations of the veteran minimum. They are within peanuts of the same cap. And I don't think Kyle Allen is as established in this league as Case Keenum, a guy that had taken the Vikings to the NFC championship game and then was the next season anointed the starter for the Denver Broncos. Didn't go well, but he was thought of very highly. Kyle Allen is not that guy. So, and then after the game, Sean McDermott was asked point blank, is this a quarterback competition for quarterback two? And he said, yes. And last year he said he had a lot of confidence in Case Keenum. Now he didn't specifically come out and say it's not a quarterback competition, but McDermott so calculated with his words that I think he would have guarded against that. Yes. And just said, you know, we're still working through things or whatever, but that's worth monitoring. We'll see what happens next week in Pittsburgh. I think we're both anticipating that the good Allen will be out there for at least a couple of drives. And then we'll see the distribution of snaps after that. Luke, I had a chance to rewatch this game, and there were a couple guys that I really focused on upon rewatch. And I want to get into them now because I do think that maybe for good and bad, they were two of the stories in this game. And I want to start with right guard Osiris Torrance. To your credit, you have held firm that you believe he is going to be the Bills offensive guard starting on opening day, even when the winds were blowing last week that it sure felt like it might be Ryan Bates' turn. You just you kept standing in that spot of it just feels like if it was Ryan Bates, it would have been 100 percent Ryan Bates in training camp by now. And Osiris Torrance started with the ones and Ryan Bates only played at center. Osiris Torrance started at right guard. And by the time the starters came out, he was still in and played with the second team at right guard. He got all the first half snaps at right guard. That was interesting. And that's a that to me is a move in your favor of Osiris Torrance being the opening day starter. I went back and watched him and I was very impressed. And what I will tell you what I saw upon rewatch was like, I don't think he made many mistakes. I don't think he won every ref. That's not to be expected. But what stood out to me were two notes that I put on Twitter. One for a guy, his size that wasn't necessarily billed as being the greatest athlete. I thought he did a really nice job of getting to the second level in the running game. That was noticeable on several reps. But the thing that stood out to me the most, Luke, and I think this is super important for a rookie there were reps where at the snap, it looked like he was losing the rep, whether it was the initial hand fight or the timing of the snap, he got pushed back. And there were a couple of snaps. It looked like he was going to wind up in Kyle Allen's lap. But what I saw was that anchor, that anchor down that you heard about coming out of Florida, where he can just gather himself, recover. And he put up a firm stop sign on that pass rusher and gave Kyle Allen a chance to throw the ball. It was not a perfect rep by any means, but similar to a cornerback that has recovery speed where he can make a mistake early in the rep, but recover with speed. Osiris Torrance between his long arms and his just brute strength and his, in his strong anchor, he has the ability to survive mistakes within the rep and still not lose the rep. And when I see that, I'm just like, there's so much to work with, with this kid that I'm just, I really want to see the bills give him a shot. In, in person, I tried to pay attention to him as much as I could it's hard based on the vantage point I had. It's, it's really hard to kind of focus in on offensive line play. There's a lot of, you know, mosh posh going on and you just don't see what you have the benefit of on a broadcast. But what I will say is nothing stood out to me when it comes to clearly there was an issue going on on the right side of the offensive line. And I think that's just to his credit. I, I do believe when it comes to him and why I like him so much, you, you bring up, you know, a strong anchor, He's just so well grounded. It seems like anytime you actually watch him that even if he makes that error, which it sounds like potentially it looks like off the snap, he may have a couple times this past game. He has the ability and he has the ground to just use his strength from the ground up 
and try to recover as best as he can and does it successfully a lot. That's kind of his, his MO. That's the reason he was regarded as one of the best guards, if not the best guard in last year's draft is just because he has an overall just frame and understanding of the position and having the strength to back it up and play it at such a high level that even if he isn't a hundred percent on every snap, if he's not kind of winning the battle every snap, he has the ability and the strength to recover or at least get by, we'll call it to then not be the issue, not be the problem, not be overwhelmed and stuff like that. And you did not see any of that, or I should say you saw all of that by not seeing anything bad with that in this last game, because yeah, Honestly, the whole time with the offensive line, at least when it was the ones out there, my eyes were never drawn to the right side. I never like saw issues when it came to just glaring problems there overall, at least interior wise. And it was just like, that's a credit to Torrance, because as you pointed out, that was his spot for the entire first half, even through the ones going into the twos. So I I'm going to be pumping this horn the entire way. I, I really believe that there's something there that if you can really boost his confidence and just let him hit the ground running and have someone like that on the right guard side, like on the right side at that right guard position, I should say. Um, I, I love the idea of that. And you'll just live with a couple mistakes that are probably going to happen just at this next level. He didn't allow a sack. Of course, that's the big thing last, you know, in his final year in college, but I'm not expecting that in his first rookie season, that would be crazy you just luckily have number 17 under center when the games start mattering that if he does make an error here or there, it's not like he hasn't been kind of dealing with those the previous seasons. And you're probably going to have more success overall with then him there throughout the entire season as he learns and grows in confidence and stuff like that. It's just the sky is the limit when it comes to him. And it just seems like this first preseason game showed that the confidence I have in him and I think others do as well is very warranted. I, I think there's a lot of potential there that they really should consider heavily. I mean, just looking at the division the Bills play in Christian Barmore twice, Quist, Christian Wilkins twice, Quinnen Williams twice. They have uh, Deron Payne early in the year. Chris Jones, if he shows up, is going to be on the schedule. So there's going to be mistakes. Any guard the Bills throw out there is going to make mistakes. But the talent he has, I think, is undeniable. And he plays with good leverage. And I, I want to see the bill. I want to see the bills roll with him because I think there's so much there to unlock that I'm excited to see not only what he could be in September, but what he could be in December and January with four months worth of games under his belt. The other guy I focused on Luca was middle linebacker Tyrell Dodson. And I will tell you, it was to me the direct opposite of what we saw from Terrell Bernard last year in the preseason. If you listen to our show last year, Luca and I both came back from that game. He was physically at the game. I came back from watching it. We're like, man, this game was moving way too fast for Terrell Bernard. His eyes were slow to react. He was having a hard time seeing what he was doing out there. In a lot of ways, with Madden coming out this week, it was like somebody that's used to playing on pro that put, bumped it up to all Madden and had no idea what they were in for. I did not get that impression with Tyrell Dotson. Um, I, I saw a guy that was moving very fast, and I think in some cases too fast. It's almost like he had too much adrenaline going, Luca. I, I never had an issue upon rewatch. I, I still haven't seen the all 22. So I'm using TV copy and it can be tricky with linebackers. It seemed like his reads were correct. His reaction to what the offense was doing was correct. It helps that he's playing next to someone like a Matt Milano. So you can see if Milano's a step or two ahead, that's pulling up on a run. Um, and then, then goes uh, Dodson. It's like, okay, he's behind, but he was step for step with Milano. It felt like everything was good until it came time to execute the play. And then he would, he'd shoot a gap perfectly and then miss a tackle 
or he'd be going 120 miles an hour and overrun his gap. Even though he pulled down at the right time, charged to the run, overran his gap. And there was another instance where it's just, he's just, he's going such so fast that it seemed like his execution of tackle and overrunning his gaps. Those were the two big ones. There was a pass over his head. I'm not quite sure that was his fault. Seemed more just like a, a good play by the Colts. I'm not overly concerned with what I saw from him because if I could, if I could choose between the two, I'd rather have somebody do what Dodson was doing, where it felt like he was making the right reads, but maybe was just too keyed up or had too much adrenaline going to execute the actual point of contact versus someone like Bernard that was never sniffing the actual play. Um, but all in all, I didn't come out of this game thinking that the Bills are going to be just fine at middle linebacker, but I'm also not going to lose a lot of sleep over it after one game. I, I'm with you on not losing sleep over it. What I will say is, yeah, I when you brought up the point of adrenaline, I, I think that's a great way to kind of look at it because I was wondering about it. it. It seemed it seemed like what we understood about Dotson going into this, that wasn't what I was expecting to see from him. But then when you when you just saw him understanding and reading the play well, and then all of a sudden, as you pointed out perfectly, the time to execute came up and he's missing tackles, whatever else is going on. And it just like, he couldn't get that last thing going. He couldn't finish off the play how he needed to. Um, maybe it really was that he was almost thinking too fast. He was almost, his brain was, instead of being behind the play, he's ahead of it. He's overthinking it. He's he's kind of overcommitting. He's, he's thinking too much and not letting the instincts that he probably has to get to this level and have the potential that he does. It's like, you when you overthink it's like standing over a golf ball and thinking about all the possibilities and things you could do and next thing you know you have so much going on in your head that when it comes time to execute you shank it because you just have so many thoughts going on and racing through your head that you just aren't trusting your instincts aren't trusting the abilities that got you to that point and that position right there so overall i i'm not too concerned over it it's just i think It'll come in time. I, I think being comfortable, being now that it seems like maybe if he feels like the keys are being handed to him of that mic position, maybe it'll just come in time where he just relaxes into it and eventually those instincts will come to play. If we then see these errors repeat themselves, you know, week in, week out, then maybe questions need to be raised. But you have to give it time because if it's something just as simple as adrenaline and stuff, that should hopefully go away with games stacking up and, you know, just starting reps in time so that he just feels like he belongs and is comfortable in that position overall. Yeah. And right now he's the only guy in the room because Terrell Bernard has the hamstring injury. They've taken Dorian Williams out of the mix for that position. So really if, if they were going to pivot to another direction, it would be Balin Spector or AJ Klein and nothing from the snap share we saw on Saturday would indicate that that is an option they're actively pursuing right now. Let's talk about cornerback too, Luca, because I think, there was a feeling coming out of this game that we got a lot more information on where the Bills stand at cornerback to. Tredavious White started this game opposite Dane Jackson. And on the second drive, Dane Jackson came out and Kyrie Elam played opposite Tredavious White, kind of like we've been seeing at training camp. But after that, it became the Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford show as Tredavious White and Dane Jackson sat the rest of the half with the I'll call them the A-list players on the team, the players that came in for a couple drives on both sides of the ball, got the A-list treatment and got out of the game. We, we'll go through those guys in a little bit, but I think the initial read on this, Dane Jackson did have an interception on the first drive of the game. Anthony Richardson panicked when Saran Neal blitzed and just threw it right to Dane Jackson. You're happy Dane Jackson completed the play, but 
this was not a Deion Sanders interception. This was this was a pretty easy one, but it, he made the play. And then Kyrie Elam, not to his credit, had a pass interference go against him on Alec Pierce, where it was blatantly holding. Pass interference may have been a little strong, but he's a physical player. That's been the knock on him. We've heard Diggs get aggravated with him. I will tell you, Luca, I don't think it's as black and white to say Dane Jackson got the A-list treatment. Kyrie Elam and Benford played into the deep of deep portion of the first half. So Dane Jackson has the track to this job because I was listening to Joe Biscaglia and his podcast earlier today, and his read on this was quite different. He said, these were valuable snaps and the bills know what Dane Jackson can do. And they're just trying to compile information on Christian Benford and Kyer Elam and develop them in game action. He said he would not read into the fact that Dane Jackson came off the field as a sign that he is the de facto starter. Now, if Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam do not elevate their game, he will be the starter. But his read on this is the Bills are sitting there almost like begging one of Christian Benford or Kyrie Elam to give them a reason to take Dane Jackson off the field. And that's all I needed to hear because that's exactly where I am, Luca. I don't want Dane Jackson to get the job because he had it last year. I want Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam to have every shot to take it. And guess what? If they're not good enough to take it, I will live with that decision. And God bless Dane Jackson. Go out there and have yourself a season. And that's what I needed to hear. I didn't want it to be the Dane Jackson's the starter because he's the veteran excuse. And, and when Joe Biscaglia talks, Luca, I listen. So I feel pretty good that this is still a competition. I, I like hearing that Dane Jackson is the settle. You, you I, I don't mean it like Tim settle. I mean it like you are settling for Dane Jackson. It, it's not, he isn't winning the job. He just kind of is the safe. Set, we will settle for this option. And you do want one of these two young guys to kind of grab that actual position and elevate themselves to the point where they won the job. And that's, that's a great spot to be. I do. I've, I've kind of been in that headspace where I want to see them do it, where when it comes to Kyer Elam and Christian Bedford, give them all the reps they possibly can. You, you do know what you have in Dane Jackson. Nothing's going to change with Dane Jackson. So you don't need to understand what you have in him at all. So just give as many reps as you can to Benford, to Elam, especially in meaningless games like preseason games to just let them figure it out. And just, they are meaningful snaps to them in their development. And then hopefully they can finally have something click uh, a switch flip and then boom, they win that position. And, and that's great to hear that potentially that's how they look at it. They just want, them and they are begging them to win that position and overall if Dane Jackson is the day one guy opposite of Trey White it's not because Dane won the position it's just overall unfortunately for Elam and Benford they didn't do enough to elevate themselves above that and that's okay like that's still potentially where they just don't have it all I will say the grabbiness of Kyrie Elam is extremely noticeable every play I, I whether it's flagged or not it is very, very, very noticeable from sitting where I was anywhere. I'm sure watching broadcasts, it is clear as day. And that is a problem. It was a knock on him in college. As you pointed out, it was a knock that we hear Diggs getting at him about it. And then even Dorsey talking to him about it. And it's like, look, you can see it on the field and that needs to be corrected. I think that could be a massive thing holding him back, unfortunately, from getting that corner two spot, because you just can't have that when games start mattering. It's just going to be a massive problem. 
And as the pressure accumulates, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to find itself out in the most crucial times. So that's where, you know, my love for Christian Benford comes where it's like, he just seems like he understands how to play back in. And it's like, if he can do that and just elevate himself more and more to really shut people down while still kind of being that safe back in corner, it's like that to me seems like the guy that needs to win this at this point, just because there's a higher ceiling to it on top of what Dane Jackson provides you. So overall, Kyer needs to clean up the hand play, but I like hearing where that position battle is at currently. And it would not surprise me if that is the reason why Kyer Elam has not gone into the great graces of Sean McDermott, because we know how much he hates penalties. And he invented about it when he got interviewed before halftime by Cynthia Freeland on the Bills telecast about how sloppy the Bills had played. And a player like Kyer Elam, McDermott's just not going to have the patience if he's been telling him nonstop, stop holding, stop holding, stop holding, and he continues to do it. So that'll be interesting to track next week going into the game against Pittsburgh. One more long-form conversation before I have some quick hitter notes to get through. Let's talk about wide receiver, Luca, because I feel like Khalil Shakir had the kind of game that basically sums up his camp where he had two amazing catches that just had you thinking, oh man, Khalil Shakir is having himself a day. And then he had a third down drop in the flat that just killed a drive. And that's what we've been hearing about Khalil Shakir all through camp is he has good moments and then he has a drop. And we've been saying all along what the Bills need out of their wide receiver three is somebody to just make the plays that are there. And then I will also tell you, Luca, I went back in PFF and tracked some stats or snaps, excuse me. And I found some very interesting nuggets on this wide receiver group. And I don't know if you've heard this yet, so I'm excited to hear your reaction. So. I mentioned the fact that there were players that got the A-list treatment, which is essentially played two drives, were out of the game. Here's the Bills' offensive players from that game that got the A-list treatment. Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, four offensive linemen not named Osiris Torrance, and Trent Sherfield. Trent Sherfield was in for two drives and out. He played five snaps. And two of those were in the slot. And I think the idea here is we're thinking that Dalton Kincaid is going to be the primary slot receiver, but this wide receiver three is probably going to live the majority of the time in the slot. So I wanted to go back and say, okay, between Hardy and Shakir, how much did they play in the slot? Khalil Shakir had 17 total snaps. Only four of those 17 snaps were in the slot. Deontay Hardy had 13 total snaps. 10 were in the slot. I don't know, Luca, between Trent Sherfield getting the A-list treatment and Deontay Hardy having a lot larger percentage playing in the slot than Khalil Shakir, I'm starting to feel like Shakir is fifth in the pecking order here. You might be right on that. And he's just not doing himself any favors. It's like he does make those great catches, and it's like, yes, this is what you need to see out of him. And then it's just an absolute hit your hands, conventional three or three to five yard out. Like it's, it's all you need them to do. You just need them to literally do the simple kind of, these are the mechanics. These are the basics things. And it's just, it hits his hands and goes. And it's like, that's the inconsistency that's keeping you from being a regular piece on this offense that, and then still just really, there were, I, I don't know how many times I just know. I remembered it once where he was in there for a run play and I don't even think he lifted his hands up to be quite honest. That's whether you are a vital part of the blocking or not, you need to show a willingness to do it. And that is not that in it, it. And I'm not trying to hate on him. It's like when your knocks are inconsistency 
uh, inability or just an unwillingness to block. And then in a preseason game, when you know you kind of are in a battle for kind of pecking order positioning, you know, a roster spot even potentially, it's like you should probably show in these moments on the limited snaps you have that you are willing to change and, and get better at these things. And it was clear that maybe it's still the same thing. And if you're not even getting the, the treatment like that, and then, you know, we're going to get into other wide receivers and then you have other people like, I'm just going to bring them up now. Isabella, who on a simple little drag route shows the elite speed that he has and is able to turn it upfield and separate from other individuals to create somewhat of a nice play out of it. What are you doing Shakir to stand out among him? Because again, if that continues to happen and Isabella shows that he is useful in multiple facets and you are still exactly where you are, that drops you down below other people to a point where your job security could be on the line here because it's not like there's a lot of money invested in you. You are a draft pick, but you are a day three draft pick. You can easily be let go off of this roster. You need to show that you can be more consistent and be more willing to kind of get better at the things that are kind of your knock right now. So I, I'm not saying that he had a bad game. He was okay, but it's like he was exactly what you know him to be, and that might find himself on the outside looking in, not necessarily roster, but just of any usage in the offense when it comes to the regular season. I'm glad you brought up Isabella Luca because his speed just pops off the screen and it's not just straight line speed. He has very good quickness. You saw it on a quick little option route against a linebacker when he got open on that catch and run. I don't know. I'm I, he's a bit of a body catcher and that kind of, you know, that's the one knock on him. But it, when you see him just get in the open field, you feel like there's a chance this guy could score. And you know the Bills have been chasing speed. I'm very excited to see where this goes with Andy Isabella. The, the five receivers we already mentioned, along with Justin Shorter, were the only receivers. Um, beside, and then Isabella played a little bit in the first half. But Justin Shorter played 17 snaps in the first half, didn't get a target. A lot of people on Twitter didn't think he played in the game because he wasn't in there in the second half. But he just he kind of got like B-list treatment. Like, you don't need to be out there in the second half. And we saw guys like Shavers and Keyshawn Johnson out there and, and, you know, those guys all had their moments. I thought one other thing that was interesting, Luca, was Khalil Shakir was not involved in any of the return duties. Uh, you saw Deontay Hardy out there for the first punt return, and you saw Andy Isabella doing both. So, and then eventually later in the game, you saw Darrington Evans returning a kick, and he actually looked pretty pretty comfortable there. That was the guy you called out as maybe having a chance to, to pop this game. So, I don't know. I, with With Shakir... If he's not going to be your primary punt returner, I'm at a point where I'm wondering if he's even going to get a jersey on game day. I still think he makes the roster, but I think when you look at the pecking order of what Sherfield can do, backing up boundary, maybe being in your slot, and then he's obviously going to play special teams. He's great run blocker. And then you look at Hardy, gadget guy, kick returner, punt returner, inside, outside flexibility. You're not going to have five receivers active, I wouldn't think especially with how much 12 tight end or 12 personnel they're going to run. I think Shakir could have a slow start to this season. That'll be interesting to track as we move along. Any other comments on the wide receivers before I get into my little quick notes here that I have lingering? No, I'll, I'll just, I'll finish it with it's going to be Shakir's going to have a big spotlight on him next Saturday when we are playing the preseason game against the Steelers. If we see kind of yet another usage and situation when it comes to the returners. Great point to be br bringing up as well, where it's Deontay Hardy and Isabella doing a lot of these roles and stuff like that. And you don't see Shakir being kind of tried out in that sense with the Steelers game. And then it's similar in its usage at that point. 
that's when red flags should be starting to go up because obviously we know Josh Allen and Diggs are probably going to be getting some sort of snap in situation then, and then it'll trickle down from there. It's like, if they're not utilizing them or utilizing him in the return game at that point in time, and then you do see an Andy Isabella out there once again, getting more, you know, returner opportunities. And if, if you even possibly see Andy Isabella go in there while Allen's on the, on the field, that's when you really got to go, okay, what is going on with Shakir and what is his projection for this roster? I don't, I don't live in a world either where he's not going to make the roster at this point in time, but definitely massive questions. If he will get suited up every game day, especially early on right now, because the question is clearly there. Because I'm a cool guy with a very exciting life. I listened to Kyle Allen's post game press conference <laughs> and there wasn't much to take from it quite honestly. But one thing that was interesting was he said, he got a question about Andy Isabella, and he just said, hey, he's a favorite of the quarterback room right now. We all love throwing to that guy. Kyle Allen is Josh Allen's best friend on the team. If Josh Allen is already in that room saying how much he likes throwing to Andy Isabella, that matters. That really matters. So something to monitor. Uh, I don't. I still would predict that Shakir would make it over Isabella at this point, but I think for a guy coming into his second year that we had high hopes for, it's a little bit closer of a call right now than a lot of us would have hoped. Here's some other quick notes I had just watching the game, taking notes during the game. Uh, Daquan Jones was out, and interestingly enough, Tim Settle started in his place. Doesn't have to be a big deal over Puna Ford, but Tim Settle also listed on the depth chart over Puna Ford. Interesting. I think the Bills are going to have a hard time keeping five defensive tackles, um, and you look at Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Puna Ford, Tim Settle, Jordan Phillips. Maybe Jordan Phillips is the odd man out. Who knows? Maybe they keep five, um, especially if Vaughn starts a season on PUP, gives him a little bit extra runway. But I don't think Puna Ford is any risk of not making this team. I just found that to be kind of interesting. Tim Settle had himself a day, by the way, excuse me, uh, two plays back-to-back, had a sack where he just blew up the play. And then the next play was a Boogie Basham sack where it was a Tim Settle instant pressure that that pushed in, um, that basically flushed the play toward Basham to clean up. So I thought Settle was great. He was great last year in preseason. It'd be nice to see him turn the corner. And then here's some other notes I had that were interesting. First team left tackle Deion Dawkins came out and it wasn't David Questenberry that came in. It was Ryan Vandemark that came in, but he only came in for one or two drives before he gave way to David Questenberry. And then Vandemark came back in in the fourth quarter to play right tackle. Notable that it wasn't Questenberry kind of answers my question of, is one of these tackles potentially going to enter the conversation with Questenberry and Shell and at least make it a conversation about who the depth tackles can be. I would just say something to monitor. PFF did not love Vandemark's game. They actually did love Richard Garage's game quite a bit. Third best pass blocking grade on the team. Uh, some injuries to bring up. Tommy Doyle left with a leg injury, potential MCL situation. Tommy Doyle already had an uphill battle to make this team. Just you hate to see it for him. Seems like he's at a bit of a crossroads here. Undrafted defensive tackle, DJ Dale had a rib injury. Sounds like that could be pretty minor. I think he's a priority for agent type. Alex Austin, I said I wanted to see him flash. He did flash Luca in a bad way. Had one of the worst coverage moments you could see in a preseason game. That was a pass interference call that my daughter could have called. Uh, Nick Broker, uh, seventh round pick, appears to be buried on the depth chart. Didn't play till very, very late behind guys, even like Ike Botker. And uh, Saran Neal got the start for Taron Johnson, although Cam Lewis is out. And, you know, Neal, I think, is interesting because he gives them kind of a big nickel look. He's good in run support. I don't think you want to live with him in coverage. Uh, Alec Pierce had a, had a play where he beat Neal in coverage and just dropped it. It was a great throw from Richardson. 
And then there was another pass interference on Neil. Uh, but at this point, I think Neil's pretty much a lock for this roster as it is. Uh, but those were my notes. Any final thoughts on this preseason game, Luca? Anything I haven't mentioned or anything you want to piggyback off of what I said? Uh, Alex Austin's gone, uh, first and yeah. foremost. Secondly, um, Anthony Richardson, just to not make it, I don't want to make it obviously a not Bills game, but Anthony Richardson looked good. Yeah. Um, I will say that. Like Anthony Richard Richardson, prop to him, that throw to Alec Pierce that he just straight up dropped. I was like, if I was Richardson, I would be chewing him out because you couldn't put a better ball in a bucket. Like it was perfect. And it's, it's, he looked good. The game overall, I think no one stood out. No one kind of was like, wow, there was no Christian Benford this year. There was nothing like where I was like, okay, who is this guy? How is he going to make the team and how can he be used? Because he's clearly that good. But overall, I, I think there was no surprises in a negative way either. It's just, you know, when when I'm sitting here going, Alex Austin's destined to be cut sooner than later. It, he was a seventh round pick. Like, it's not like anything crazy anyways. He might come back on the pra- practice squad and so be it, whatever. But yeah, that nothing really huge noteworthy wise that it's like everyone looked good that needed to look good. You know, no one looked bad that ne- couldn't look bad. Khalil Shakir was inconsistent. All the things we talked about, it it kind of is what it is. And it's not like we learned anything crazy going into the week two preseason. Yeah. The built-in Buffalo account put on a tweet, like who impressed you the most in the preseason game. And I quote tweeted it and said, quite honestly, nobody, because I don't feel like anybody on the bills drastically changed my opinion of what I had of them going into the game. You know, you feel bad for Tommy Doyle. Maybe you're a little bit downer on Kyle Allen. If you hadn't been following training camp, but Overall, I thought everybody kind of just lived in the world that I expected them to live in. And, you know, on we go. Speaking of on we go, Luca, it is not December 25th, but it's going to about to feel like Christmas on this show because you and I are about to give away four copies of Madden 24. It is Madden week. If you got the early copy, you're going to get to play Madden tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern. The deluxe copy, the copy Luca's and I are, Luca and I are giving away are going to be available on Friday. But let's not waste any more time, Luke. Let's get to it. Do you want to do Xbox or PlayStation first? We are going to go ahead and do Xbox first. So if you are not watching and you are just listening and you still want to listen to see if you hear your Twitter handle, it will be Twitter handles read out. Um, It's a wheel in front of us. What I did is, of course, everything was you needed to do the few steps in order to enter. And then if you followed or were already following us, you got a bonus entry. Um, I put your name in here twice if you are following us and everything. And then there were some people don't know why you're not following us. You should, but there were some that were just a single entry. Uh, we still appreciate you and everything like that. I'm going to hit shuffle on this a bunch of times here. If you're watching, it's just seeing names go crazy here. This is Xbox. We have a total of 142 on this. Appreciate all of you and stuff like that. And without further ado, I'm just going to hit spin once on here. I hope uh, it's, I hope it's a name that's super uncomfortable for you to read. <laughs> I'm hoping for the easiest here. Um, not the best to listen to here. Yeah, see, something like that. H. Disorti, I think. H. Disorti. There you go. You are the first Xbox winner here. Congratulations, stuff like that. And I'm going to remove all instances of your name just so we don't pick you again. So now we're down to just 140 extras here. And for this second spin... You know, it's it, and just once again, like we appreciate everyone that did this. It was fun. We were gracious or uh, happy to have these codes on us and stuff like that. So we just appreciate you participating in this and whatnot. Uh, Tiki five six. I want to say that Tiki fifty six. Congratulations to you as well. 
you have also won yourself a Madden code. And now those are the, oh, well, well, I'm spinning Xbox here. Ignore this one if you are watching. Yep. I apologize. This one's irrelevant. We've already <laughs> given away Xbox. Yeah, yeah. Xboxes are done here. Um, stuff like that. Close. Hold on here. I'm just going to, so I don't forget you, H. Disorty and Tiki56. I will be just screenshotting your names real quick here. And I'm writing it down too. Old school. Beautiful. Style. Beautiful. Yeah. Pen and pen and pen and paper, right? Joseph, uh, if you're watching this, sorry, that was a mistake. You're not, you didn't win. Yeah, yeah. We do apologize for that again. Okay. So I already had the PlayStation. This is a total of 247 entries. There is no way you can read your name on that wheel. <laughs> um, I'm gonna shuffle this up a little bit here. And here we go. These are PlayStation names. Um, same as the Xbox, of course, if you're following, you got two of your names on here. If you not, for whatever reason, you only had one entry. First is just, the Mafia King 101. Congrats. That familiar. That's a, these are Twitter handles, right? Yeah, these are Twitter handles. Just repeating myself one more time, just because a lot of people with their Twitter names, you some, you have more, some that are straightforward. You have others that are pretty crazy with emojis and everything. And I'm not putting that in here. So, <laughs> um, so we got that and for last, but certainly, certainly not least, the Come last Bill's chat, code. Josh. I did not yeah. enter. So. Yeah. That would be a little sus if I won anyway. That would be interesting. Shao Cuckoo. We're going to go with that is, I think, how it is. Shao Cuckoo, you are the other PlayStation winner. Um, appreciate all of you and everything like that. Uh, we will be getting you your codes um, as soon as we reach out to you and everything like that. We got to get a couple things straightened out, of course. Um, but you will hear from us. You guys won. Congratulations. Um, and everyone, thank you for entering and stuff like that. We, of course, appreciate it. And uh, we hope to do things like this more in the future and stuff. We just were lucky enough to have codes to give away. So um, thank you. And uh, yeah. Happy Madden season. Happy Madden season. Absolutely. Madden. You know, Luca, if you're not going to play with the Bills in Madden, a couple teams that might be fun to play with could be the Bengals. They have, they have, you see where you already see where I'm going with this. The Jaguars have a lot of weapons. I don't know though. A team that maybe was fun a couple years ago, the Tampa Bay Bucks. You think they'd be any fun in Madden? Uh, no, I do not. To not be honest, even with your boy Rashad White, yeah. but still no, no. All right. Why am I mentioning these teams? What well, is the next edition of Rivals Watch? If you have not been following along, Luca and I have been going into great detail on all of the opponents on the Bills schedule. And we've tried to cluster them in grouping pairs that made sense. So we've already knocked out the NFC East. We've knocked out the AFC West. And Luca has so creatively, creatively um, nicknamed these teams the others, as in the representative from the NFC South, the AFC South, and the AFC North that finished in the exact same slot as the Bills. And that is why the Bills matched up with them this year. And we're going to go into them right now. And we are going to start with those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Luca. They did win the NFC South last year with a record of eight and nine. Somebody had to get in the playoffs and it was them lost in the first round to Dallas. A guy you're familiar with Todd Bowles is second year as head coach managed to have a losing record with Tom Brady, which probably puts him in some kind of a <laughs> hall of fame. Um, Bucks did not have a good offense last year. 25th overall, their defense was decent ninth overall. And overall, Luca, when I was looking at this team today, digging into some of their strengths and weaknesses, what I came away with knowing that their quarterback situation has gone now from Tom Brady to either Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask, this is a team that still has 
some parts from a team that was a championship contender a couple years ago. Like they still resemble a championship team, but the players that were the championship contributors are just not quite as good as you need them to be at that time that they're winning championships. And then obviously the biggest question mark is Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask. What can those guys accomplish? Just some quick notes here. 14th best offensive line per PFF rankings. I think their offensive line is not even that good. You're talking about moving Tristan Wirfs from the right side to the left side. He's been excellent on the right side, but left side, he, I, I mean, that's, that's a roll of the dice. I mean, I think I'd be tempted just to leave him on the right side, continue to have maybe the best right tackle in the entire sport. They're going to be starting a, right, a rookie at right guard in Cody Mock. And my concern about a line like this, Luca, is was this line as good as advertised or were they just fortunate enough to be blocking for the quickest release in the sport and Tom Brady, who just gets the ball out so quick, he never gets sacked because I don't know that they necessarily have the household names that you see on teams like the Eagles or the lions who have those elite offensive lines. And that makes me concerned. So let's just start there. I've kind of laid out what their quarterback situation is, what their offensive line looks like. So you can pick it up wherever you want. I think the offensive line is quite literally Tristan Wirfs and the others, not yeah. to also call these the others, but it really is that. And they are just elevated by that. So by moving Wirfs to the left, I, it definitely throws up a lot of question marks to me just because it's going to be a little bit more unfamiliar. It's not as simple as, Hey, we have a really good tackle. You can interchange. We've talked about it at numerous occasions where it's like the right and the left are completely different places. You don't want to move people around as much as you can. You want them to be comfortable in the position that they're at. So by doing that and then having new starters and then on top of it all, yes, absolutely. Tom Brady's quick release and best understanding of whatever pre-snap read he needs to and where he needs to deliver that ball and stuff like that. Like that can disguise everything and anything. They're going to have some serious growing pains on that offensive line. And then with quarterback play naturally, Baker Mayfield is not exactly known for a quick release or known for getting the ball out quick in general and being decisive with it. Um, he might be decisive with not knowing what he wants to do, uh, not to knock a guy like that, but when you're in a quarterback battle with Kyle Trask and Kyle Trask is not impressive either. I, I do worry about that. And then on top of it, just to even, I like all the things you brought up here. It's the, the players that they won a super bowl with last, they're now starting to hit that back end where it's like, you know, they brought them all back and they are good players in their own right, but it's you're, they lost a step They're They're a half a step behind from where they were when they were contributing for a championship. So with that and not having the ability to disguise a lot of that stuff with Tom Brady, where do you go? Like how, how is that going to all work out? It almost seems like you're, you're almost destined for failure at this point in time. And it could potentially be by design to be quite honest, because this upcoming draft could be one that they're eyeing for certain individuals and certain players that really could probably elevate them back to a certain level where maybe having this Kyle Trask, Baker Mayfield moving things around and this being a testing kind of uh, season for them where, Hey, if we do end up being a top five pick, so be it. Look what's coming up in the draft. There's a lot of guys that you could probably look at right now at this point in time and say, are worthy of being a top five pick and a lot of other drafts, maybe even above the top five picks that were taken this past year. So it, it could be kind of a future play situation, but overall this team does not look impressive whatsoever. 
Let's talk about Baker Mayfield because he was the first overall pick in the 2018 draft, the Josh Allen draft, for those that don't remember. So we know the guy has talent, obviously, if you're the first overall player picked in a draft. And I will tell you, Luca, if Bruce Arians was still the head coach, I would feel like you never know because you give him a talented quarterback. I think Bruce Arians is the kind of coach that has shown whether it's getting a rookie Andrew Luck or I think if we're honest with ourselves about the form Carson Palmer was in prior to going to Arizona, it felt like he was starting to wash out. He had kind of fallen out of favor in Cincinnati. And then he went to Oakland at the time and it, it wasn't great. And then he found his way to Bruce Arians and it was like a career revival. I would give Baker Mayfield a fighting shot of becoming almost like this year's Geno Smith, where he gets in that conversation of like a mid-level quarterback and can keep this team in contention. Todd Bowles doesn't move the needle for me. I'm not a Baker Mayfield believer overall. So I would say I'm not super high on it. Where's your level of uh, hope for Baker Mayfield at this point? Let me just take a deep breath here real quick. I always wanted to believe Baker Mayfield could be something. And I, I love a guy with bravado. And I like, I like the personality, although at times it's a little bit above and over the top arrogant a little bit, you know, you could figure it with Baker Mayfield, but I like guys that are confident. I like guys that really kind of understand they're really good and they want to be that good. And they'll let you know that they're that good. There's something to be said that confident level can kind of show itself in good ways, especially in uh, sports and athletics. So I like that, but we've seen too much already where it's just not working anymore. And you need to have him in the right situation. I'm with you a thousand percent. If he had Bruce Arians, who was clearly a quarterback whisperer. I mean, you didn't even mention he also worked and got a great level of play out of Ben Roethlisberger and stuff like his track record, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, Andrew Luck. You know, you just go on and on. I mean, Carson Palmer was literally a top three MVP candidate when he was with the Cardinals under Bruce Arians. It's like this guy clearly understands how to get the best out of quarterbacks wherever they are in their career and whatever they're good and bad at. So it's just if he had him. I would actually feel phenomenal about it because Bruce Arians was even on record when he was with the Cardinals saying he did like some of the things that Baker Mayfield brought to the table. And, and it's just like, overall, he doesn't have that now, or I should say he wasn't with the Cardinals anymore. He actually was, that was his first year away from the Cardinals. But regardless, it's like, y- you gotta, you need someone like that for Baker Mayfield and Todd Bowles does not move the ticker whatsoever. And it's like, if you don't have that right person kind of getting the best out of him, he's going to probably kind of go down in flames, unfortunately. When you look at this roster, there's pieces that make you think they could be good. I don't know if there's really a path to them being great. They got your guy in the draft, uh, defensive tackle Kalijah Kansi out of Pittsburgh. He's dealing with an injury right now. He could be three weeks away from playing, so he might be pushing opening day. But you think about putting him next to Vita Vey. We talked about it on draft night. What a what a for, um, formidable foe or teammate that could be. I, I don't know why I said foe, and it just threw me off as I was talking through it. And then you look at Shaq Barrett, who's had some good moments in this league. Joe Tyron's been decent so far through in Tampa Bay. He's had some ups and downs, but I think you know he's a player that's still ascending. I think that has a chance to be an impactful defensive line. I like their secondary, and when you look at what they did this offseason, it really their biggest moves outside of bringing in Baker Mayfield, if you want to call that a big move, was keeping guys in-house. Jamel Dean, Levante David. And I look at Chris Godwin. I look at Mike Evans. I don't think that those guys are elite receivers anymore, but I think even 90 to 80% versions of them are still good enough to win with Russell Gage is the third wide receiver there. 
Your guy, Rashad White, I firmly believe will be an upgrade over whatever was left of Leonard Fournette last year. They have the skill position players. I think they have enough pieces on defense, and it's certainly not a challenging division. There is no powerhouse standing in their way, so I think the path is there for them to repeat as NFC South champions. That would not surprise me. And I will tell you, as we now transition into this Bills game, the one thing that gives me pause for the Bills, it's a Thursday night game. And Thursday night games can be more than anything, a flip of the coin, fluky. Teams are not usually as ready to play. Now, generally, my rule of thumb on Thursday nights is advantage home team, advantage better team, because there's very limited game planning that happens in those Thursday night games. And it does tend to be like who has the, it's not as much about X's and O's. It's who has the better Jimmy's and Joe's. And I do think much more on Thursday night than most other weeks. It's did you travel? Because even those those few hours you spent in the air matter on a Thursday night on a short week. And the Bills are home, and I think they're the better team. So my fear factor for this game is fairly low. But Thursday night games can be wonky. Weird stuff can happen. So I wish this game was kind of planted on a Sunday at 1 o'clock, and I feel like the Bills would win this thing like 99 times out of 100. Thursday is just a little extra wrinkle. I'll kick it back to you. I just kind of described some of their other key players, talked about the Thursday night aspect of it. Where's your fear factor with these bucks? Yeah, I mean, so basically Thursday night football is kind of my regular season preseason where it's like, I hate it, to be quite honest. And overall, I I feel like it does neutralize at times when it comes to a lesser opposition with a better team, but the disparity between the bills and the bucks is just too much. I, I don't, I, it's really, really, really difficult for me to see the potential unless there's crazy injuries, unless there's crazy circumstances that you just cannot project where the bucks come to Buffalo on week eight, late October on a Thursday night and somehow put in a performance with Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask leading the charge in a victory in orchard park. I just, I don't, see that being of thing I, I have zero fear factor with this team I'd put them honestly they're one of the one of the few teams in the league that I think will compete with the Cardinals when it comes to the first overall pick and if that's the case I mean my fear factor of them in a bill sense is a one out of ten I, I just any given day of course you can always win or lose but realistically it's it's going to be I would love to see the bet spread on this one when it comes to that time because if the Bills aren't at least what I'll call a 12-point favorite, 12-and-a-half, 13-and-a-half-point favorite, I'd be shocked because the, the top to bottom, like, yes, we talked about how the Bucks have some guys who are definitely good players, good names. They have pieces and stuff like that. But just together and overall, I, there is no world that the Bucks can compete with the Bills any sort of way. And this is one of those moments where I think we all need to remember what a huge advantage having a franchise quarterback is when you play a team that has a, a normal quarterback. And that is what the Bucks will have unless Kyle Trask or Baker Mayfield just come out of left field and take a leap that none of us are really expecting. All right, Luca, when I look at these Bucks, I look at their, their schedule. I look at their division. I think there's some wins in their division. I think they're the kind of team that will probably win seven games. So I'll give them seven and 10 and that might put them in the conversation for division title come week 18. I think they probably just fall short. Um, I, so what I will say is that I, I, if you're watching, I, I might have eyes open like, wow, seven wins, but the division is not the strongest with the Falcons and the Panthers and stuff like that. So 
I mean, realistically, as long as you win those six games, let's say with the Saints, say you split with the Saints and you win the other four, it's like, okay, well, there's five wins right there. So you just need two more. So I can, I can understand where that is. And that's probably what will hold them out of kind of a top two, three pick just because you will be playing against other teams like the Falcons and the Panthers potentially who are still not quite there. And they could also be competing for those top five picks. So I can see seven and 10 realistically, if, if I don't think about something like that, I, I, I view them as kind of a four or five win team. I'll give them the weak division bump and I'll be with you. I'll say seven and 10 um, when it comes to a projection, that's what they are. And that's a seven and 10 because of a weak division, as I just mentioned. So when it comes to the Bills sense, imagine they're playing like a four win team and the Bills do not lose to four win teams. Yeah. And the other piece of this is they not only have a weak division, but they got matched up with the AFC South and they also play the Bears. And it just, I think they're just, and you know, there's going to be, there's going to be weeks where, like you said, they might drought Bills this thing to seven wins. <laughs> It'll all ultimately amount to nothing but, a middle of the pack draft pick and a, and a season where they probably fire their head coach. But let's move on to a team that has bigger aspirations than that. Also from the state of Florida, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think this is the team that a lot of people are really high on when it comes to preseason hype. We saw this team under Doug Peterson last year, win the AFC South and they won a playoff game after falling behind to the chargers 27 to nothing. They had a top 10 offense, top 11 defense, they didn't really add anything big in free agency. They they did lose Juwan Taylor, and then when you compound that with Cam Robinson, their other tackle being suspended four games, you're looking at a situation where their first round pick Anton Harrison is going to have to start right away, and that's not necessarily ideal, but it's a situation they found themselves in. And when you look under the hood of their offensive line, they were good at pass blocking, but they were dead last at PFF and run blocking. And I think with what they're going to try to do on offense, more of a spread offense, I think you'd rather have good pass blocking than offense and then, than run blocking. They did sign Evan Ingram to a long-term extension. I think their biggest move could be the Calvin Ridley trade. He looks fantastic in camp. They have nice weapons. All in all, Luca, I think this is a team that people are wanting to buy stock in. Are you wanting to buy stock in this Jacksonville Jaguars trajectory? Yes, tentatively. I, I think the Jags have a lot going for them. And your last point, Calvin Ridley being held out for an entire year due to the gambling stuff, which, look, is what it is. Now you're all of a sudden seeing more gamble, gambling issues around the league and they're not getting season-long suspensions now you're adding fuel to the fire. That is Calvin Ridley's motivation tank. And it's like, I, I am honestly ex extremely excited for Calvin Ridley in this offense. You see a lot of tape coming out now in training camp and stuff. And he pops, you have the potential with Trevor Lawrence with a Doug Peterson, the, I mean, Calvin Ridley, you know, if we wanted to talk about fantasy football is a guy that should be on everyone's radar. And if wherever his ADP is in this current, I, it might be too dang low. Like that, that needs to be evaluated. I think they have an interesting team. Just the downfall of them being kind of the big next step are the situations that they have when it comes to, you know, their tackles being an issue and you're dealing with the suspension. So you have a rookie out there just playing those meaningful snaps early. 
and you have to lean on that. It's not like they're playing meaningful snaps, but you have others to surround them and make them comfortable. I'm sure Doug Peterson is going to do everything he can to make his life as easy as possible, that he is a great offensive mind. He will try to figure out a way to at least do that as best as he can. But overall, it's just going to be, it could be a lot where they might not be able to start out as strong as they would hoped potentially. And that could be then finding themselves in a similar search situation where they were a nine and eight team last year. They, you know, they could be kind of, let's say a 10 and 17 this year. And they really should have been maybe an 11 win team because of if they were at full health and ready to go right out the gate. And, you know, you weren't dealing with cam Robinson being suspended and stuff like that. It's just, that's the stuff that might cost them a win or two um, overall, but they're a very good team. And I, I definitely do buy stock into them. I, I think they're a team to watch out for. And Trevor Lawrence, I would expect to take yet another step, finally being in a real team and a real offense and not dealing with the urban Meyer situation anymore and being now two seasons separated from that. So I think there's a segment of the football audience that thinks that the Jaguars are going to ascend to the upper echelon of the AFC, which would include the Bills, the Bengals, and the Chiefs. And when you look at the way last season finished, they were in the final four in the AFC, and they have all these young, exciting weapons, a young quarterback people are excited about. But I, this is where I'm going to pour a little water on it. I, I, maybe I'll come off as a hater, but you look under the hood of what the Jaguars actually accomplished last year. They were a 9-8 and eight football team. And going into week 18, they needed to beat the Tennessee Titans at home. And Josh Dobbs started the game for the Tennessee Titans. And the Jaguars needed a defensive touchdown from Josh Allen in the fourth quarter to get that game home. And they get a lot of credit for coming back from 27 points down to the Chargers in the playoffs. But my question is, how in the world did you get down 27 points in a playoff game, your first playoff game? at home since you played Tyrod Taylor and the Buffalo Bills in 2018 in January. And then they get a lot of credit for staying within one touchdown of the chiefs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes couldn't plant his forward throwing foot. He couldn't, there was a real conversation of did the backup quarterback give the chiefs a better chance to win that day than Patrick Mahomes. And if you're the Jaguars, you have to get that game to the garage. I understand you're at Arrowhead. I understand that's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, but, that was a gift from the football gods and you couldn't take advantage of it. And then when I look at some of the talent on this team, the, the theme I come away with is a lot of good, but not great. And I would lump Trevor Lawrence into that. I think he's very good. He's not yet great. I think there's a path to him being great. Travis Etienne, same thing. Calvin Ridley, he's never shown to be great. I think that there's a path there to be great. Christian Kirk is a very good player. Not great. Evan Ingram. Good. Not great. Josh Allen the game of his career came against the bills. So I think a lot of bills fans are going to hear this and think, what is he talking about? But Josh Allen has not been a great player. He's been a good player. I think maybe even slightly disappointing considering what it looked like he was going to be the first couple of years of his career. And then you talk about having Jawan Taylor gone and cam Robinson gone for four games. I like Tyson Campbell a lot at cornerback. Devin Lloyd is a player I liked coming out of the draft. He had a really disappointing year one in coverage. That's to be expected. If he can put it together, they might have maybe the, the most athletic linebacker group in the league with Devin Lloyd. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. He's an excellent player. Aluakon. Um, but again, Trayvon Walker, fantastic talent. But what did he produce? He got three and a half sacks last year, while the guy that you were pounding the table for them to take, Aiden Hutchinson, got nine and a half. So... I think there's a lot of fool's gold on this team. 
um, you know, from how they finished last season, it, per, it would, the perception was they finished strong, but I do think they're going to make the playoffs because one division player, one division team makes it from every division and their division is just garbage. So I think they'll be there in January and maybe they get lucky and win a game or two, but they are not in my mind, player for player on the level of a Bengals or a chiefs when it comes to my fear factor, as far as the bills go. I will say this. I'm not even entirely sold that they will win the division. I think they should. And like everything I just mentioned, I am buying stock. I think they have it all. You, your point that you're doing right now is perfect because it's all based on projection. They don't have any money in the bank when it comes to what should have them being just that staple and kind of steady Eddie playoff team, AFC contender, so on and so forth. It's all projection from quarterback down. The biggest thing that gives you that bump or just hope is that Doug Peterson is their head coach and offensive mind. That is what gives you the hope that they should be able to take that next step. You should be able to get the most out of a Calvin Ridley who you're right. He's been very good. He's never shown to be elite great, but it's like he, he should be able to, there's a path to do it because you have Doug Peterson and you have a young budding star potentially in Trevor Lawrence, who has been good and finally had a very good season last year. It's like, okay, can he be great now? And I do think the projection part of this, it's like, you don't want to fall victim of it. And Oh, by the way, there's also a really good head coach in your division, Mike Vrabel, who understands how to win football games, even with a Josh Dobbs at quarterback or something like that, where it's like you might have absolutely nothing in your favor and you're somehow an arrowhead in overtime with Malik Willis, who can't throw a forward pass like that. That is so impressive that it should not be an assumption that the Jags are going to win this division. The Titans are actually, when it comes in betting sense, the Titans are a team that I am actually loving to sprinkle money on right now. I think they're plus 330 last I checked to win the division because of this hype and love for the Jags. And it's like the Jags do have a lot of good players. You're absolutely right, but it's like you don't have any standouts. You don't have any of these like above the top, absolute successful things. Trayvon Walker is a great point. It's like, he was drafted first overall with the projection because his athleticism was crazy high. And it's like, well, no, now you're seeing it's like it was really raw and you need to be able to refine that in order to get the high end talent and high end athleticism to be high end success and be a great player. And it's just not there yet. It can be if he progresses and someone develops him, right? It's like, but it's all projection. It's all things like that. So when it comes to the fear factor with the builds to finally bring it back into this, I, I fear the Jags. I fear Doug Peterson more than I fear the Jags team. I fear Doug Peterson figuring out a very good game plan coming in. Well, it's not coming into Buffalo. It's actually coming into London and then, <laughs> and figuring out what he needs to do to be successful against a nice defense. That is the bills defense. And then figuring out a way to win with the nice roster that he has around him and that he's built. So overall, my fear factor with the Jags, when it comes to the bills is kind of like a five or six, but Doug Peterson is the primary reason. It's probably even the secondary reason for it. And you have nice players that he has at his arsenal and it's like he is a very, very good coach. He has won a Super Bowl. He has found success in this league for years, and there's a reason for it. He knows what he's doing, and that's where my fear factor comes with the Bills. It's not the players on the field. It's just the coach, and Doug Peterson is an individual I would consider can out-coach McDermott, absolutely, and that's why I have a little bit of fear with that. 
My fear factor for the Bills, as far as their regular season matchup with the Jaguars, has everything to do with the location of that game, the game being in London and not in Orchard Park, because I think a lot of that is going to work against the Bills. The fact that the schedule makers have Jacksonville out there for back-to-back games. They play the Falcons in London the week before, so they will already be ready and able to play in that time zone where the Bills will be out there for the first week, and that, that makes me nervous. But I will say, like, if I were to spin this forward and you were to tell me right now that, hey, divisional week in the playoffs, the Bills are going to Jacksonville for a playoff game, sign me up right now. Sign me up right now. I I, I am in for that game. So my overall fear factor with what it might look like if they play this team in the playoffs is not as strong as what I think is a tricky spot on their actual regular season schedule. And I will just spin that forward now and tell you my record prediction for the Jaguars is the exact same one they had last year. I have them as a 9-8 football team. I think their schedule is tricky. I think they play some teams on their schedule that don't look necessarily tough right now, but teams like the Saints, teams like the Steelers that are just never easy outs, I think can get some games from them. I would not be shocked if the Colts stole a game from them. I do think the Titans will get a game from them. Interestingly enough, it could come down to the exact same scenario where it's Titans and Jaguars both at 8-8 eight and eight going into the final week of the season, and this time around it's in Tennessee. So I'm with you. I think the Titans are a team to buy in these division um, preseason predictions. But uh, yeah, nine and eight. And right now I have them as edging out the Titans to win the AFC South. So they will be a playoff team, in my opinion. Yeah, I actually have it just basically the opposite. I think the Titans actually are probably the team that will edge out the Jags when it comes to the division. I I think people are sleeping on them. They still have all the pieces. And it's Mike Vrabel. I don't know. I don't think he gets overlooked, but it still feels like he doesn't get the respect he absolutely deserves. And Mike Vrabel is an incredible head coach and understands, even though he's not an offensive genius like a Doug Peterson or an Andy Reid, he still knows from top to bottom of that roster. And he came from a place where they do a very good job of this. He understands exactly what he can do to put every individual in the best position possible to succeed, no matter their limitations or issues. And it's, it's just so impressive that they got to the situation that they did last year. And then the Jags just kind of, as you pointed out, squeaked by to win the division and then just had a bit of a successful run in the playoffs, kind of fluky in a way, but successful in its own right. Um, I think the Titans are kind of a, the 10 win team and I I'm with you. I think the Jags could easily just be a nine and eight win team, nine and eight team and just be edged out for the division by the Titans. I, I think It'll come down to that. It should go down to the last week. But overall, I, I don't I don't see like the Jags. I can buy into them and I absolutely see the easy path to success and another step forward. But I do wonder if that actually will be able to happen and if Doug Peterson will be able to do that. So overall, I kind of I'm with you. I, I could see them being a nine, 10 win team, but I am flipping it. I think the Titans actually do edge them out for the division. So the Jags need to be really, you know, fighting for a wild card. And is that enough? We will have to see. And, you know, the counterpoint, we're not, this is not a Titans preview, but when you talk about the Jaguars, not having those great players, they have players that can be great. The Titans have established great players, Deandre Hopkins, Derek Henry, Jeffrey Simmons, Bayard. I think that they have enough on their roster that if Ryan Tannehill plays the whole year, I'm with you. I, I think the Titans might even be the extreme version of the bills where People forget why we bought into the hype a couple years back, and people are just like, oh, well, this team let us down. We're, we're giving up on them. I, I, Titans are better than we think, and you're right. Vrabel is excellent. But let's move on, Luca, to the Cincinnati Bengals. They were 12-4 and four last year, the AFC North champions. 
back-to-back AFC championship game appearances. This time around, they lost to the Chiefs after representing the AFC in the Super Bowl two years ago. Unfortunately, we all remember that they beat the Bills in Buffalo in the playoffs to send the Bills home to a offseason that had us all questioning everything. They were seventh on offense, eighth on defense, exactly where you want to be, top 10 in both. Does this surprise you, Luca? Zach Taylor, their head coach, four years as the Bengals head coach, back-to-back conference championship games, has a losing record, 28-36-1? No, just because those first couple years were brutal. Um, I'm trying to... Memory it was certain. oh they had the first pick they got burrow yeah yeah You're right. they got okay. burrow right so like and then burrow got hurt in his rookie season was out for after like six games so those two years they were just so bad mm-hmm. that yes they made back to back conference finals and back to back double digit win seasons but that just shows you how bad those teams were before that point yeah no that doesn't surprise me just because they there's a reason they got Joe Burrow and T Higgins <laughs> and Jamar Chase. It's like, yeah, there's, there's a reason that roster was able to be built and then kind of ascend them to the place they are so quick. And the game plan for this team, the last two off seasons has been protect Joe Burrow because up to this point in his career, the offensive line has been lackluster last off season. It was Lyle Collins at right tackle. And then they had Jonah Williams at left tackle. Lyle Collins was their big investment did not go well. He is now gone, and they brought in Orlando Brown Jr. from the Chiefs to play left tackle, moving Jonah Williams to the right side. I think that'll be an upgrade. I don't think either one of those players are great by any means, but I think they're at least solid bookends for this team. PFF has them as the 17th best offensive line, which honestly, when you look at their weapons, Higgins, uh, Chase, Mixon, Burrow, Boyd, like if you have a middle-of-the-pack offensive line, that should be all you need. It just, it just can't be an offensive line that costs you games. They did get taxed in free agency, though. Uh, Jesse Bates, Von Bell, both gone. Losing both of your safeties is tough. But they did bring back Jermaine Pratt, who I think is a very good linebacker. And when you pair him with Logan Wilson, who had an excellent game last year and just popped when we were doing research for the first Bengals game, the DeMar Hamlin game, and we were really looking at this team like, man, he has evolved into a very high-level linebacker. They have some really athletic, rangy linebackers. Um, but overall, this was not a sexy offseason for them as far as free agency goes. In the draft, they got your guy Miles Murphy at edge, which should give them a nice trio with Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, and then Miles Murphy, DJ Turner in the second round at cornerback, and then Jordan Battle, who I think will at least be in the conversation to replace Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Remember last year they took Daxton Hill in the first round, so they at least have some insurance there for those two losses. But overall, Luca, I think this team's going to look very similar to last year. You know, you can talk about the ancillary parts. Obviously Orlando Brown jr is going to move the meter a lot, but it really comes down to burrow. The offensive minds are the offensive minds, the offensive weapons on this team. And then Lou Amarino and the, and the defense that I think is still kind of underrated and overlooked because of how good the offense is. This team's going to be right there at the very top of the AFC, in my opinion. You mentioned it wasn't, you know, an ultra sexy off season for this team. They didn't bring in like massive keynote free agents and stuff, but they didn't really need to. This is a team that's so well structured now and understands what they need to have the focal point being. They can just run it back and still have high end game, you know, gameplay and just high end production from top to bottom and stuff. I think the the safety duo being gone is definitely noteworthy, but it Jesse Bates is really really good and I can't understate that enough like he is very good he was worth being the top safety in the free agent pool and stuff like that but overall 
it's like that defense ticked at the pass rush. That defense ticked in the front seven. It made Jesse Bates and all their life very easy back there. It's it's why they could have gotten away with Eli Apple and stuff like that at corner who are just, I mean, dog water, to be quite honest. The kids understand that terminology there, Josh. You might not hear dog water often, but Eli Apple is trash. Called me old. (laughs) Eli Apple is trash. And yet he was still serviceable as a corner in this defense because Hendrickson and now you add Miles Murphy as an edge. Like that is the meat and bones of that defense. And it should be able to kind of run it back and figure it out. And they'll be able to have Daxton Hill or Jordan battle, whoever it is back there, probably figure it out on the fly. And as the season progresses and stuff, it could be a situation like Kansas city's defense where like, Hey, they had a lot of young guys kind of coming in and changes, but you have still key players just in the positions they need to be. And like a Chris Jones, obviously in this case, then it's Hendrickson and all of them up front that it's like the pass rush gets there. It doesn't really matter. Like you can kind of learn on the fly and figure it out from there, get the production you need. And then of course this team goes through Joe Burrow. It goes through Jamar Chase. It goes through T Higgins. It goes through that passing game and that offense and don't sleep on Joe Mixon. Obviously, of course it's like the team is very, very good top to bottom. It's an impressive roster. It took some high-end draft picks, as we just mentioned early on and stuff like that, but they got them all right. You have to get those high picks right. They got them all right. They can run it back. They don't need to go crazy in free agency market. They need to just kind of run it back, figure it out. You're back-to-back conference championship games. I mean, just figure it out. You got to get over the line once again, get back to the Super Bowl and stuff like that, and they have a team to do it. That, that's realistically, they have a team to do it. They show that they can beat the Bills. They can beat the Chiefs. So why would you think that you need to make drastic changes? You mentioned the Chiefs getting a lot of production out of young players last year. The, the Bengals are right there at cornerback with Cam Taylor Britt, a late second round pick that started nine games for them because of the injury to a who tore his ACL in October. And that's a similar timeline, maybe a month earlier than what Tredavious White had done the year before for the Bills. Similar age players. He's 28 years old. But like you said, even if they get a 75% version of a coming back, that is a massive upgrade over whatever they had with Eli Apple last year. And that should stabilize. And then second year of Cam Taylor Britt, you know, and then Mike Hilton is excellent in the slot, just excellent, a really great blitzer. He's there, Taron Johnson, quite honestly. So I think there's a path to this defense being even better, which is weird because they lost both safeties. And Luca, I just, I look at this Bengals team. I think they have a very tough division uh, top to bottom. I think even, maybe even more so than the AFC East, just because I think I believe in the Steelers more than I do the Patriots. But I think this division is the kind of division that could really eat away at each other. Really is going to depend on what happens with Deshaun Watson. Is he ready to to come back up into like the top 10-ish quarterback conversation or not? That's going to be tough sledding for them. But with everything they have in place, assuming Joe Burrow is good to go by opening day, which I guess we should mention, had that non-contact leg injury in practice, did not look good when it happened. Sounds like he's tracking toward playing right now. Um, so I don't think we need to like necessarily predict what life would look like without Joe Burrow, but that is certainly something to monitor. But yeah, I, I think this team as constructed with this, with that quarterback, with these weapons, with what I think will still be a very good defense, I'm going to give them 12 wins. And honestly, 12 feels kind of low, but I, I think that their division is tough. You know, and then they got to go play the Bills. They got to play the Chiefs. So, you know, there's going to be some losses in there to teams that are in their weight class. But I'm going to I'm going to give them 12 and five again. Wow. 12 and five. 
and I say, wow, kind of not like, Oh, that's outlandish. It's more of a, I mean, it would be just very impressive. Excuse me with the schedule they have in front of them. 12 wins is a lot like that's that's 12 wins on the schedule they have in front of them is realistically kind of a 13 to 14 win team to me. Kind of like what I was talking about the Jags where it's like, or no, not with the Jags with the bucks where it's like, Hey, they win seven, but realistically it's a four win team that just wasn't a really weak division. It's kind of the polar opposite to me. It's like 12 wins is a very impressive outcome. I have the Bengals as an 11 win team this year. And then just also, it's kind of funny that the others worked out this way. Similar to the Jags, I actually think, for betting tips out there, at plus 380, the Browns to win the division is a very juicy bet. Just to get my little things out here before we end this episode, every season for the past 20 years, at least one team has gone last to first in the National Football League. And the Browns were the last place team in this division. As you just pointed out last place last year, as you just pointed out, this is a division that top to bottom is extremely impressive and teams could beat each other up. The Browns also have potentially the defensive player of the year incoming in miles Garrett. Let's not forget about him and an incredibly impressive roster that can take on these Bengals that we're talking about right now tonight. And it's like, they could absolutely take games from the Bengals and find the Bengals kind of on the back foot. And eventually with the tougher schedule that they have, instead of the Browns having kind of those easier other games in their kind of wheelhouse, since they were last place in the division last year, they could edge them for the division. Just a nice little betting tip there at plus 380, really nice. But then on top of it, I do live in a world where I think the Browns might win the division as crazy as that might sound right now here in August. But overall, I think the Bengals are still a very impressive team. I have them as 11 and six team. I just could see a world where they're 11 and six and they're a priority wildcard team because the Browns found themselves 12 and five or even better potentially. And it's, it's not, it sounds crazy. I understand that, but it's like, Hey, if, as you also mentioned, if Deshaun Watson gets back to say a top 10 level play at quarterback, that's a scary roster that should be able to take on these Bengals should be able to take on that division. It's not an AFC North co- uh, podcast here. We're talking about the Bengals in, rel- in relation to the bills, but overall the Bengals are extremely scary for the bills naturally and stuff like that. But yeah, I have them as 11 win team just because it's a gauntlet of a schedule they have to go through. Well, I mean, since we're talking about the Browns, Luca, when were you born? Uh, 1992. Do you realize that the Cleveland Browns have not won a division title in your lifetime? I do. I do actually realize that. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's a crazy thing to think about. <laughs> 1989 was the last time the Browns won a division title, and that was the old AFC Central. Not to say they're not talented enough to do it. They certainly are. But yeah, I think it's going to take a, a leap from Deshaun Watson. But I'm with you. I think the Browns have talent to do it. I love Nick Chubb. I love their offensive line. I think the Ravens are going to have something to say about this division. And then every year, it seems like we're counting out the Steelers, and every year Mike Tomlin, Tomlin goes out there and wins at least half his games. So it's not going to be easy for the Bengals or anybody in this division. What is your fear factor as far as the bills go? Cause from my standpoint, Luca, this is probably outside of Philadelphia. Let me say this. This is a matchup that I think is tough on the bills, but man, I feel like the bills are going to be just itching to get their hands on this team. So when I say fear factor, I mean like the chances that this team can punch with the bills and beat the bills. I'd say like eight or nine. Like I think that's a flip of the coin game. 
but I think this is the I think this is a game that the Bills have just been circling. And I hope, unlike the year that they circled the Chiefs, beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead, and then went back to Kansas City and lost in the playoffs. I hope the Bills aren't at the stage of their growth where they're putting all their eggs in a regular season game's basket. But I do think the Bills match up well with the Bengals, despite what we saw in the playoffs. And I think that'll show this regular season when they play. I think at full health, I, I just want to like add that little, obviously at full health, the bills do match up with the Bengals. Well, it's not perfect. It's not. I think the bills match up with the chiefs more so than the Bengals. I just think the Bengals are a little deeper in the arsenal pool when it comes to weapons available to them. And that's kind of what gives them the edge. And that's why the Bengals even seem to have this edge on the chiefs for the most part as well. Um, but overall, my fear factor, it's funny. You said eight to nine. Immediately, the number that pops in my head is eight and a half. It's an eight and a half out of 10. It really is kind of like I, if it was kind of a situation where, you know, we're both you assume it's banged up. You're assuming some stuff's happening. I think the Bengals have a little bit more of leeway when it comes to not having 100 percent of a roster, whereas the Bills kind of really do hopefully have 100 percent of their roster. If they lose an edge or two or something like that, they, I think the drop off, unfortunately, is a little bit more than what the Bengals have. Um, but overall, just like at full health, both rosters, yeah, eight and a half out of 10, it's going to be obviously a phenomenal game. It's going to be on Sunday night football in November. It's going to be a marquee game of the week. It's probably going to be talked about the whole time. Are we going to see the playoff game over again? Are the bills motivated enough? I do, believe. I would find it hard to believe that they haven't circled this in Sharpie on the, you know, on the schedule and stuff like that. This is going to be absolutely highlighted. It's what makes me worried about, I think the week prior uh, let me know if I'm wrong, Josh, but I believe the week prior, they just have the Patriots. Uh, I might be wrong there, but I think it's like, it, 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 I believe it's the Patriots, but I'm talking out, you know, out of off the head here, uh, but Bucks. it's like, it's, it's the Bucks. Game. Oh, is it the Bucks Thursday so night they game? Have a, they have a long rest coming into this Bengals game. That's what it was. Okay. That was, <laughs> I remember looking at the schedule just based on like matchup. And I was like, man, you really hope to God they don't over, you can't overlook a team in this league, but it's like, you really hope that they just don't overlook the bucks and just go, Hey, we're, we're all about Cincinnati already. Where it's like, no, you need to be the, we're on the Cincinnati mindset. It's like you get through your game and you move on to the next one. I don't know if that necessarily matters anymore. I guess the Patriots was the week prior. Um, but overall, yeah, the, it's scary because look, they can go punch for punch and they have honestly a better weapon arsenal than the bills. In my opinion, still, I mean, Jamar chase T Higgins and Tyler Boyd that it's quite literally the best wide receiver trio in the league. You, you cannot compete with that when it comes to any other team. So when you have that and the top five quarterback and Joe Burrow, and it's, there's a lot there, but the bills absolutely can beat them on any day too, of course. So, Eight and a half out of 10 feels right. I think the Bills are a better team just because I, I give the edge of Josh Allen over Joe Burrow. But I mean, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, I, I just I look at those wide receivers constantly, Josh, and it scares. I know if Trey's back and Kyrie and all that, it's like, but Jamar Chase and T Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, it scares the living daylights out of me. That is an incredibly impressive trio of wide receivers. I don't trust their tackles. And I think that if the Bills are fully healthy and can throw Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, and Leonard Floyd at them, I, I think that there's a chance for the Bills to disrupt the game plan. I, I This will be a, a McDermott game for sure because I think Frazier was maybe the front of the list of things that let you down in that playoff game. I will say this, though, to close out this conversation, Luca, is we've been doing this dance all offseason. We can come up with a laundry list of reasons why the Bills weren't the best version of themselves in the playoffs. 
Damar Hamlin, Kim Pagula, the top shooting, uh, the two games that got moved due to weather, or the one game that got moved, and them getting snowed in on Christmas, stuck in Chicago. Josh Allen's injury, the two All Pros being out in the playoffs, and the other one, other two, Tre'Davious White and uh, Jordan Poyer, not being fully healthy, not even close. Daquan Jones missing at the end of the week, randomly popping up and then not playing in the game. We all know the dance. We can all we can all sing it, recite it like like it's just on the back of our hand at this point, but. If the Bills get blown out by the Bengals again, it doesn't have to be 40 to 10 or 28 to 10. If it's a decisive win, though, then it's going to be hard to justify. And all these excuses that a lot of us have been living with all offseason of, man, the Bills just ran out of gas or, you know, they they just didn't have it after the Hamlin stuff. You know, you don't want to take too much from a one game sample size, but the Bills do need to show us something. It doesn't have to be a win even, but. Go out there and punch with the Bengals. If you lose a heartbreaker at the buzzer, I can live with it. it. It's a it's a regular season game. See you in January. We'll see what happens. But the Bills go out there and lose by 17 points, and it's Joe Burrow doing whatever he wants against our defense, then I think that is going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, man, we may not be in the top tier anymore. And, and that's where this game is just circled for me. It's a measuring stick game, and, and you love those, and you want to see where your team's at. And I think the Bills and Bengals are certainly going to measure themselves against each other. All right, Luca, we have one more round of Rivals Watch to go. Next week, we'll be talking about the AFC East, Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots. And then, obviously, we'll be on Friday night, Bills Chat Live, previewing what's going to be happening in the Bills-Steelers game. Check us out on Built in Buffalo, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all those places you can find us. Speaking of YouTube, we would love it if you took the time to come to Bills Chat YouTube. We are... Just now trying to grow that channel. If you could go over there, hit the sub. We would certainly appreciate it. It takes two seconds. It's free, and it would mean the world to Luca and I as we're continuing to try to make that a one-stop shop for all of our content. We have some very fun things planned as soon as this week. That is a nice little surprise. Uh, But Luca, one preseason game down, two to go. It feels like we're already in the thick of this thing. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? I'm excited for preseason to be over. Just give me a 53 man roster. <laughs> Just let's get to it. I'm, I'm, when it going to the game and going to the preseason game and everything like that was just like, okay, I'm ready for real football. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with the off season, done with the preseason. Let's, let's just get to when we can talk about meaningful football again. And it feels like it's close. Of course, like you go to a game, you're now in it. Like we are truly in it. Uh, sports talk all week. We're going to be able to talk about all 32 teams, what they're looking like right now. It feels like we're finally back in the rhythm and it's exciting times. But then we even ourselves, Bill's chat, have even more exciting things on the horizon. We keep teasing and stuff like that, that I know you and I are very excited for and stuff to just kind of have fun with and kind of take from there and see what happens. So it's exciting times. It's exciting that we're back to the usual kind of uh, rhythm of the season and back to our ways of having things to talk about and meaningful things to care about. And hopefully next thing you know, it will be November 5th. Uh, and we're watching Bills at Bengals Sunday night football, and it'll be exciting times as it's a heavyweight bout punch for punch and see what happens. Yeah, I I like preseason football just because I'm I like football, but you're right. So much of what we talk about, the, the fifth receiver, the <laughs> fourth tackle, like it, it's fun to talk about in August, and it almost never matters in November and December. And you know, I think we all can read too much into these preseason games, good and bad. And just proof of that last year, 
Bills Broncos preseason game. I'm reading an article right here, Luca. Number one arrow up, number one player who helped his cause, Zach Moss. Ugh. Two touchdowns against the Broncos. Ken Dorsey quoted after the game, we wanted to see the Zach Moss of old, and I think we saw it out there today. But we saw the Zach Moss of old. The problem is the Zach Moss of old was no better than the Zach Moss of current. But all the best to Zach Moss. He's dealing with an injury right now, so certainly have to throw shade at him. I think that just kind of goes to show what these preseason games can mean. Anyway, Luca, I look forward to everything we have coming up this season. We'll be back on Friday night for Bill's Chat Live. This is dropping Monday morning. Thanks so much for taking your time to listen to Bill's Chat. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty, and we will see you next time on Bill's Chat Podcast.